Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. Thank you, John Williams, for being the glue that holds the Star Wars universe together. I think he did a great job with the music heard throughout the sequel trilogy by composing pieces that are unique, yet still hearken to the feel one gets from the more iconic pieces heard in the original and prequel trilogies. It'll be sad when you die soon. Let's not get too far into the music nerd stuff, because I want to shift gears into this episode, which is about more than just how awesome John Williams is. Yes, this week wraps up the trilogy sets with a look into the sequel series, episodes 7, 8, and 9. Now, a lot of people have mixed feelings about the sequel trilogy, mainly that it didn't even need to get made. Nevertheless, it exists, and we're going to talk about it. As host of Science Factual, I'm Reese Hendrick, and talk about it I shall with one of my favorite people, fellow Shady Pines Radio tribe member, Zane Thomas. We met up before the Underbar mic in Vancouver, Washington, hosted every Monday by the very awesome Amanda Lynn Deal and Juan Duran. Underbar is a super fun location and always an awesome room, which I highly recommend. Before we go any further, I want to issue a galaxy-wide spoiler alert, spoiler alert. If you haven't had a chance to check out all three of the most recent Star Wars trilogy or haven't had the desire to do so, then this spoiler alert is for you. Or not. I mean, I could be saving you valuable time with the following opening crawl reviews as well as general plot summaries before getting into some facts. So why don't we start with the opening crawl for The Force Awakens. Luke Skywalker has vanished. In his absence, the sinister First Order has risen from the ashes of the Empire and will not rest until Skywalker, the last Jedi, has been destroyed. With the support of the Republic, General Leia Organa leads a brave resistance. She is desperate to find her brother Luke and gain his help in restoring peace and justice throughout the galaxy. Leia has sent her most daring pilot on a secret mission to Jakku where an old ally has discovered a clue to Luke's whereabouts. Alright, here's a more in-depth synopsis of The Force Awakens. Set 30 years after the Galactic Civil War, the First Order has risen from the fallen Galactic Empire and seeks to end the New Republic. The Resistance, backed by the Republic and led by General Leia Organa, opposes the First Order. Leia searches for her brother Luke Skywalker, who has since gone missing. On the desert planet Jakku, Resistance pilot Poe Dameron receives a map of Luke's location from Lor San Tekka. Stormtroopers commanded by Kylo Ren raid the village and capture Poe while Kylo kills San Tekka. Poe's droid BB-8 escapes with the map and encounters a scavenger named Rey. Kylo tortures Poe using the Force and learns of BB-8 and his location. Stormtrooper FN-2187, disillusioned by the First Order, frees Poe and they escape in a stolen TIE fighter. Upon learning that FN-2187 has no other name, Poe gives him the name Finn. As they head to Jakku to retrieve BB-8, a First Order Star Destroyer shoots them and they crash land. Finn survives and finds only Poe's jacket in the wreckage, leading to the assumption of his death. 
Finn encounters Rey and BB-8, but the First Order tracks them and launches an airstrike. Rey, Finn, and BB-8 steal the Millennium Falcon and escape the planet. The Falcon is discovered and boarded by Han Solo and Chewbacca. Meanwhile, gangs seeking to settle debts with Han attack, but the group escapes aboard the Falcon once again. At the First Order's Starkiller base, a planet converted into a superweapon, Supreme Leader Snoke allows General Hux to use the weapon for the first time on the New Republic. Snoke questions Kylo's ability to deal with emotions surrounding his father Han Solo, who Kylo states means nothing to him. Aboard the Falcon, Han determines that BB-8's map is incomplete. He then explains that Luke attempted to rebuild the Jedi Order but exiled himself when an apprentice turned to the dark side, destroyed the temple, and slaughtered the other apprentices. The crew travels to the planet Takodana and meets with cantina owner Maz Kanata, who offers help getting BB-8 to the Resistance. The Force draws Rey to a secluded vault, where she finds the lightsaber that once belonged to Luke and his father, Anakin Skywalker. She experiences disturbing visions, denies the lightsaber at Maz's offering, and flees into the woods, confused and terrified. Maz gives Finn the lightsaber for safekeeping. Starkiller Base, much like the original Death Star, destroys the New Republic capital of Hosnian Prime, leaving the Resistance on their own. The First Order attacks Takodana in search of BB-8, Han, Chewbacca, and Finn are saved by the Resistance X-Wing fighters led by Poe, who survived the crash on Jakku after all. Leia arrives at Takodana with C-3PO and reunites with Han. Meanwhile, Kylo captures Rey and takes her to the Starkiller base, but she resists his mind-reading attempts. Snoke orders Kylo to bring Rey to him. Discovering she can use the Force, Rey escapes using a Jedi mind trick on a Stormtrooper guard. At the Resistance base on Dakar, BB-8 finds R2-D2, who had been inactive since Luke's disappearance. As Starkiller base prepares to fire once more, the Resistance devises a plan to destroy it by attacking its thermal oscillator. Using the Falcon, Han, Chewbacca, and Finn infiltrate the facility, find Rey, and plan explosives. Han confronts Kylo, calling him by his birth name Ben, and implores him to abandon the dark side. Kylo seems to consider this, but ultimately kills Han instead. Devastated, Chewbacca shoots Kylo and sets off the explosives, allowing Poe to attack and destroy the base's thermal oscillator. The injured Kylo pursues Finn and Rey into the woods. Finn fights Kylo with the lightsaber to protect Rey before Kylo knocks him unconscious. Rey takes the lightsaber and channels the force to defeat Kylo in a duel. They are then separated by a fissure as the planet's surface begins to splinter. Snoke orders Hux to evacuate and bring Kylo to him to complete his training. Chewbacca rescues Rey and the unconscious Finn, and they escape aboard the Falcon. As the Resistance forces flee, Starkiller base implodes. R2-D2 awakens and reveals the rest of the map, which points to the oceanic planet Octo. Rey, Chewbacca, and R2-D2 travel to Octo on the Falcon. Rey finds Luke atop a cliff on a remote island there within, and without a word, she presents him with his father's lightsaber. That then brings us to episode 8, The Last Jedi, for which the opening crawl reads, The First Order reigns. Having decimated the Peaceful Republic, Supreme Leader Snoke now deploys his merciless legions to seize military control of the galaxy. Only General Leia Organa's band of resistance fighters stand against the rising tyranny, certain that Jedi Master Luke Skywalker will return and restore a spark of hope to the fight. But the resistance has been exposed. As the First Order speeds toward the rebel base, the brave heroes mount a desperate escape. Now, much like the original trilogy, the second of the three in this sequel trilogy, in my opinion, is the best out of the three. Uh, much like how The Empire Strikes Back is the best out of four, five, and six, that's largely agreed upon, I would say that eight is the best out of seven, eight, and nine. So here's the synopsis for The Last Jedi. Shortly after the Battle of Starkiller Base, General Leia Organa is leading the Resistance forces in evacuating their base when the First Order fleet arrives. 
Against Leia's orders, Poe Dameron leads a costly counterattack that destroys a First Order Dreadnought. The remaining Resistance escapes into hyperspace, but the First Order uses a device to track them and attacks them again and again. Kylo Ren hesitates to fire on the lead Resistance ship after sensing his mother Leia's presence on the bridge, but his wingmen destroy the bridge regardless, killing most of the Resistance leader. Leia is dragged into space but survives by using the Force, while Leia, Vice Admiral Haldo, assumes command of the Resistance. Running low on fuel, the remaining fleet is pursued by the First Order. On Octo, Rey attempts to recruit Luke Skywalker to the Resistance. Under self-imposed exile, Luke refuses to help and says that the Jedi should end. After encouragement from R2-D2, he agrees to give Rey three lessons in the ways of the Force. Rey and Kylo begin communicating through the Force, which puzzles them both. Kylo tells Rey that Luke feared his power. Luke confesses that he momentarily contemplated killing Kylo upon sensing that Snoke was corrupting him, which prompted Kylo to destroy Luke's new Jedi Order. Convinced that Kylo can be redeemed, Rey leaves Octo. Luke prepares to burn the Jedi library but hesitates. The spirit of Luke's master Yoda appears and destroys the library by summoning a bolt of lightning. He encourages Luke to learn from his failure. Meanwhile, Poe entrusts Finn, Mechanic Rose, and BB-8 with a secret mission to disable the First Order's tracking device. Maz Kanata directs them to the casino town of Kanto Bight where they meet the hacker DJ. Pursued by the local security, they escape Kanto Bight with the help of stable hand children and racing animals that they set free. Finn, Rose, and DJ infiltrate Snoke's flagship but are captured by Captain Phasma. Rey also infiltrates the flagship and is captured by Kylo who brings her before Snoke. Snoke reveals that he connected their minds to discover Luke's whereabouts. Meanwhile, Holdo plans to evacuate the remaining members of the Resistance using small transport vessels. Believing her plan cowardly and futile, Poe leads a mutiny. A recovered Leia stuns Poe with a blaster and proceeds with the evacuation. Holdo remains aboard the ship as a decoy to mislead Snoke's fleet as the others flee to an abandoned base on Crate. DJ the Code Hacker buys his freedom by revealing the Resistance's plan to General Hux and the First Order fleet begins firing on the evacuation transports, destroying many. Ordered to kill Rey, Kylo instead kills Snoke and defeats his Praetorian Guard with her help. Rey hopes that Kylo has abandoned the dark side, but he instead asks her to rule the galaxy at his side. Refusing, she battles him for control of Luke's lightsaber bisecting the weapon. Holdo sacrifices herself by slicing through Snoke's flagship at light speed, crippling the First Order's fleet. Rey escapes the destruction while Kylo declares himself Supreme Leader. BB-8 frees Finn and Rose, they defeat Phasma and join the survivors on Crate. Poe, Finn, and Rose attack with obsolete speeders. Rey and Chewbacca draw TIE Fighters away in the Millennium Falcon while Rose stops Finn from sacrificing himself. The First Order penetrates the Resistance Fortress using a Siege Cannon. Luke appears and confronts the First Order, allowing the surviving Resistance fighters to escape. Kylo orders the First Order's forces to fire on Luke, but they fail to harm him. He then engages Luke in a lightsaber duel, and upon striking Luke, Kylo realizes that he's not actually physically present, but projecting his image through the Force. Rey helps the remaining Resistance escape on the Falcon, and exhausted, Luke dies peacefully on Octo, becoming one with the Force. Rey and Leia sense his death, and Leia tells Rey that the Resistance can rise again. At Kanto Bight, the Stable Hands recount the story of Luke Skywalker, and afterward, one of them moves a broom with the Force and gazes into space. And that brings us to the third film of the sequel trilogy, The Rise of Skywalker. The opening crawl treatment for that reads... The dead speak. The galaxy has heard a mysterious broadcast, a threat of revenge in the sinister voice in the late Emperor Palpatine. General Leia Organa dispatches secret agents to gather intelligence while Rey, the last hope of the Jedi, trains for battle against the diabolical First Order. Meanwhile, Supreme Leader Kylo Ren rages in search of the Phantom Emperor, determined to destroy any threat to his power. Now, I do have a gripe about this particular movie and just the way that it ends 
I mean, it, it just seems so arbitrary with the rise and fall of the Sith fleet that it was just so easy yet again to foil, you know, like the most powerful fleet in all of the galaxy. I don't know. It just seemed shoehorned in and kind of unnecessary. Also, where did all of his acolytes come from? You know, like, where do they get food on Exegol? I'm just saying, there's a lot of plot holes. All right, anyway, here's the synopsis. Following a threat of revenge by the resurrected Emperor Palpatine, Kylo Ren obtains a Sith Wayfinder that leads to the planet Exegol. There he finds Palpatine, who reveals that he created Snoke to rule the First Order and lure Kylo to the dark side. Palpatine unveils the Final Order, a secret armada of super laser-equipped Star Destroyers, and tells Kylo to find and kill Rey, who is continuing her Jedi training under Resistance leader Leia Organa. Poe Dameron and Finn deliver intelligence from a spy that Palpatine is on Exegol. Rey reads in Luke Skywalker's notes that a Sith Wayfinder can lead them there. Rey, Finn, Poe, Chewbacca, BB-8, and C-3PO depart of the Millennium Falcon to Basana to find a hidden clue leading to another Wayfinder. Kylo initiates a force bond with Rey to discover her location. He travels to Basana with his warrior subordinates, the Knights of Ren. With Lando Calrissian's help, Rey and her friends find the clue, a dagger inscribed with Sith text, which C-3PO's programming forbids him from interpreting, and the remains of a Jedi hunter named Ochi and his ship. Rey senses Kylo nearby and faces him. The First Order captures the Falcon, Chewbacca, and the dagger, and attempting to save Chewbacca, Rey accidentally destroys a First Order transport with Force Lightning. Believing Chewbacca is dead, the group escapes on Ochi's ship. They then travel to Kijimi, where a droid smith extracts the Sith text from C-3PO's memory, revealing coordinates to a Wayfinder. Rey senses Chewbacca is alive, and the group mount a rescue mission to Kylo's Star Destroyer. Rey recovers the dagger and has visions of Oshi killing her parents. Kylo informs her that she is Palpatine's granddaughter. Palpatine had ordered Ochi to recover the young Rey, but her parents hid her on Jakku. General Hux saves Poe, Finn, and Chewbacca from execution, revealing himself as a spy. After allowing the group to escape, Hux is discovered and executed by Legion General Pride. The group fly the Falcon to the Wayfinder's coordinates on a moon in the Endor system. Rey retrieves the Wayfinder from the crashed second Death Star, but she's met by Kylo who destroys the Wayfinder and duels her. In a dying act, Leia calls to Kylo through the Force, distracting him as Rey impales him. Sensing Leia's death, Rey is overcome by guilt. She heals Kylo and takes his TIE fighter to exile herself on Octo. There, Luke's Force Spirit encourages Rey to face Palpatine and gives her Leia's lightsaber. Rey leaves for Exegol in Luke's X-Wing fighter using the Wayfinder from Kylo's ship. Meanwhile, Kylo converses with a memory of his father, Han Solo. He throws away his lightsaber and reclaims his identity as Ben Solo. Sensing Leia's death and Ben's redemption, Palpatine sends a Star Destroyer to destroy Kijimi as a show of force. Rey transmits her coordinates to R2-D2, allowing the Resistance, now led by Poe and Finn, to follow her to Exegol. There she confronts Palpatine, and he demands that she kills him to allow his spirit to pass into her. The Resistance launches an attack on the Star Destroyers, and Lando arrives with reinforcements from across the galaxy. Ben overpowers the Knights of Ren and joins Rey, but Palpatine drains their power to rejuvenate himself. He incapacitates Ben and attacks the Resistance fleet with Force Lightning. Weakened, Rey hears the voices of past Jedi who give her strength. Those voices include Obi-Wan Kenobi, Anakin Skywalker, Luminara Unduli and Ayala Secura, Mace Windu and Yoda, Qui-Gon Jinn, Adi Gallia, and Kanan, and it also sounded like Ahsoka Tano was in there, meaning that at that point in time she had passed on to become one with the Force. At any rate, Palpatine attacks her with Force Lightning, but Rey deflects it using Luke and Leia's lightsabers, killing Palpatine before dying herself. Ben uses the Force to revive Rey, and they kiss before he himself dies. The Resistance defeats Palpatine's remaining forces while people across the galaxy rise up against the First, or rather, Final Order. The Resistance celebrates their victory. Rey visits Luke's abandoned homestead on Tatooine and buries Luke and Leia's lightsabers as a passerby asks her her name. 
Seeing Luke and Leia's Force Spirits nearby, she responds, Rey Skywalker. Alrighty, now that you're up to speed with the overall sequel trilogy and the basic story arcs there within, let's get into some facts about the movies themselves as well as some connections and easter eggs you may have missed throughout the three movies before we take a dive into the conspiracy corner side of things. Now, we know by and large the general main cast members of the original and prequel series being that we've had a significant amount of time with the movies and the actors have gone on to play other iconic roles. But here's a quick list of the main characters seen throughout episodes 7, 8, and 9. Up first, of course, we have Daisy Ridley playing Rey, John Boyega as Finn, Oscar Isaac as Poe Dameron, Donald Gleason as General Hux, Harrison Ford as Han Solo, Mark Hamill reprising his role as Luke Skywalker, Carrie Fisher doing the same as Princess Leia. We then have Adam Driver as Kylo Ren, Lupita Nyong as Maz Kanata, Andy Serkis as Supreme Leader Snoke, Anthony Daniels reprising his role as C-3PO, and Peter Mayhew as Chewbacca. Now, as an aside, Peter Mayhew, as we hopefully all know, brought the character of Chewbacca to life in the first Star Wars film, and he continued to play the Wookiee for nearly every episode in the franchise. However, due to health concerns, he stopped playing Chewbacca for episodes 8 and 9, though he was credited as a Chewbacca consultant in The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. In addition to those appearances, Mayhew donned the furry suit for the much-derided Star Wars Holiday Special, which I'll be covering next week with Jamie Carbone, uh, as well as an appearance on The Muppet Show, and he gave Chewie a voice on Star Wars The Clone Wars. Now, looking at the directing and production side of things, it looks like George Lucas was entirely hands-off. This round was headed up by J.J. Abrams for Episodes 7 and 9, and Ryan Johnson for Episode 8. Also, rumor has it that Ryan Johnson will be uh, picking the reins back up for Episode 10 in that next trilogy installment, but we'll get to that in just a little bit. Now, Lucasfilm was involved in the production for the sequel trilogy, but only after it had been acquired by Disney for a whopping $4.05 billion. George Lucas, who famously created the Star Wars universe and then sold the rights to Disney in 2012, was supposed to work as a creative consultant on The Force Awakens, but he chose ultimately not to get involved. His representatives released the following statement explaining his reason for staying away when word arose that he hadn't otherwise seen the trailer when it was released. Uh, quote, it is true, he hasn't seen the trailer. He ideally would love to not see any footage until he walks into the theater next December when it was released. Uh, he has never been able to be surprised by a Star Wars film before, and he said he was very much looking forward to it. I like that point of view. Now, a lot of people are Star Wars fanatics, and that includes a lot of celebrities. During the filming of the new trilogy, a number of well-known personalities make invisible or hard-to-spot cameos throughout the films. In The Last Jedi alone, cameos include Joseph Gordon-Lovett, Noah Segan, Justin Thoreau, and director Gareth Edwards, who all make obscure cameos in the film, and I'll leave you as the viewer to come across those naturally. After two full trilogies largely centered around men, it was a smart move to base the newest Star Wars trilogy around a woman. The original name of this character, developed by writer Michael Arndt, was Kira. However, after details about the film and its production began to leak to the public, the name was eventually changed to Rey. It used to be next to impossible to get a studio to prematurely release a film for a fan, but... The digital age has made it a little bit easier to do, and in the case of The Rise of Skywalker, one fan did manage to see it three weeks early. Sadly, this was due to his final request, which was passed on to Disney by Rowan's Hospice through a tweet. Robert Iger, the chairman and CEO of Disney, tweeted the studio's response, saying, quote, On this Thanksgiving, we at Disney are grateful to be able to share The Rise of Skywalker with a patient and his family at Rowan's Hospice. May the force be with you and with us all, end quote. A Disney representative then went to Rowan's hospice in Waterlooville, England, carrying a black bag. Inside the bag was a hard drive and some non-disclosure agreements. The film was then watched by the terminally ill man and his family. Kinda nice. John Williams composed the orchestral music that has made Star Wars one of the most incredible film series of all time. 
His work permeates the films, almost becoming a character of its own. Over the course of more than four decades, Williams has written and conducted numerous scores for the franchise, but it wasn't until The Rise of Skywalker that anyone watching a Star Wars film got a chance to see him. He made a brief cameo in The Rise of Skywalker, playing a bartender in the cantina scene. Williams was reluctant to do the cameo, but his wife told him it was more important than doing the score. I don't know about that. All the props that surround him in the scene symbolize bits and pieces from the movies he scored throughout his career, like Saving Private Ryan, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, and Home Alone, to name a few. In a strange coincidence, when Mark Hamill returned to the Star Wars universe for The Force Awakens, he shared something in common with his former master, Obi-Wan Kenobi, played by Sir Alec Guinness. During the filming of The Force Awakens in 2014, Hamill was aged 63, the same age Guinness was when he first appeared in A New Hope. Poe Dameron's official backstory states that his planet of origin is the moon Yavin 4. That moon was the rebel base's location in A New Hope, but there's a closer connection to his origins in the film. Oscar Isaac has said he hoped Yavin 4 was the location of his character's birth because he's from Guatemala. Believe it or not, the two are connected. The scenes depicting the rebel base in A New Hope were filmed in Isaac's home country of Guatemala. This connects his character's origin to his very own, and it also links the character to the first Star Wars film. There is an intimate moment towards the end of The Last Jedi involving Luke and Leia, wherein Luke places a set of gold dice into his sister's hand just before he dies. The moment is clearly important and emotional. However, many viewers were confused as to the significance of the dice. The dice are in fact a direct callback to the original trilogy, where all along the dice could be seen hanging in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. Like the previous two films, The Rise of Skywalker brought back a fan-favorite original cast member. Billy D. Williams as Lando Calrissian makes his grand return in the film, and on top of that, the film implies that the new character, Janna, may be his daughter. A companion visual dictionary to the film all but confirms that Janna is Lando's daughter, wherein it states that the First Order specifically targeted the children of rebel leaders to kidnap. So what is in store for the future of Star Wars in regards to the film trilogy sequence and all of the ancillary content that's in the pipeline? Well, we know that Obi-Wan is set to premiere later this month in May of 2022, but there's a lot more in the works. Check out this blurb from a recent article on GamesRadar.com. Although there are a whole bunch of new Star Wars movies and shows on the way, we know surprisingly little about the next Star Wars film. The Rise of Skywalker follow-up has been significantly delayed, and while we believed Wonder Woman director Patty Jenkins' Rogue Squadron would be on screens sooner rather than later, that appears not to be the case as her priority has become Wonder Woman 3 and her Cleopatra remake. However, there's still a whole lot to be excited for in that galaxy far, far away. Next on the small screen comes the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, which will see the return of Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen, followed by Rogue One spin-off Andor, and The Mandalorian Season 3. The future also brings shows like Ahsoka, Lando, The Acolyte, and more. Exciting stuff! Definitely keep your eye on the radar for new content announcements and release dates. If the Star Wars TV show universe is set to expand more, I'm super into that as opposed to a direct trilogy installment of 10 through 12, but hopefully Rain Johnson's hot out the gate with what comes next for Rey Skywalker. I'm definitely interested to a degree because of the end scene of Rise of Skywalker where she engages a yellow-tinted lightsaber, which can mean a number of things. To me, in relation to her storyline, I'd say it's likely representative of her skills that exist in a balance of combat and scholarly pursuits, and lending to that thought, the traditional yellow lightsaber is that of the Jedi Sentinel. The Sentinel relies more on their skills outside of the Force and the use of a lightsaber than those of the Jedi Knight class, which speaks more to Rey's overall characteristics and origins. Not to say that she isn't incredibly strong with the Force, but her origins were rooted more in using the mind to survive rather than learned Jedi skills, or tapping into the Force. If you're left wanting a more in-depth overview of the various lightsaber colors and their meanings, I encourage you to listen to episode 25 of this podcast, where I review Star Wars episodes 1 through 3 and the Clone Wars animated series as well. 
Up next, we have an interview with one of the most talented people that I know. He's a musician. He's a comedian. He's a podcaster. In fact, I was on his podcast, The Smoke Break, this past week with his co-host Amanda Lynn Deal and Malik Rayshon to discuss role models and reality. You can check that out on Shady Pines Radio every Sunday from 9 to 10 a.m. as well as on Spotify. By the way, that person is Zane Thomas. We met up before one of the best mics around, the Underbar in Vancouver. We got to chatting about the sequel trilogy and life in general. Now to undo the sound check you just did. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. I don't mind it. Um, you know, I'd rather that the levels be too high than too low. You know? There have been times, like, I interviewed Ben Levy at the Funhouse Lounge for episode six on Blade Runner. Uh-huh. And you can hear Ben just fine because I was worried that I wouldn't be able to hear him. So I had the mic pointed at him. At him. And you can hardly hear yeah, me. Yeah, you're, like, down a hallway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Somebody who's been mixing sound, I totally get it. Yeah, no, it's it's not easy, um, especially when you got to do everything else. But you know that as a podcastier. Yes, I did. <laughs> that is the fanciest thing yeah. I've ever been called. I had my pinky, had my pinky out. Yeah. I saw yeah so it's extra fancy. Well, folks, the voice you hear other than mine, this is Zane Thomas, everyone. Welcome, Zane. Pew, pew. What's going on? Uh, what is up, dude? Hey, thanks for joining me. We're at the Underbar mic in Vancouver, Washington. Yes. Uh, we're sat outside. It's a beautiful day. Yeah, this is a good day to do yeah. it outside. Yeah, it's nice out. Yeah, absolutely. I like it. You're uh, joining me for a smoke break. I'm joining yes. you for Science Factual. This is great. I dig it. Yeah, yesterday did the smoke break with Zane, Amanda Lynn Deal, and Malik Rashan. Yes, you got it. He's, he's I was going to help you, but I didn't. I almost didn't know his last name. So well, he's, a, he's a new friend. He's me, a new, so. yeah, yeah, new friend for me. New friend for me. I like new friends. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but we're here to talk about well, just life in general, but also mostly Star Wars sequel trilogy episodes seven, eight, and nine. Correct. Uh, well, before we get too far into it, Zane, what's your Instagram? My Instagram is at it's Zane Thomas. And then on, uh, and that's on Instagram. And then on everything else, it's your old pal Zane. Uh, the reason the difference, there's a difference, is because somebody code cracked me. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So be careful, be careful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, it, if it says relog into this, don't. Yeah, um, no, never. Or if you get a random text message with a link, none of that. Business. Yes. Yeah. I don't like that stuff. <laughs> Whenever spam likely calls me, I go, "Oh, hello, Mr. or Mrs. Likely." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was a rapper for the longest time. I was like, <laughs> "This dude sounds cool as fuck." Like they got it from the Wu Tang name. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Childish Gambino. Childish spam G- likely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The whole crew. <laughs> I kind of dig it. Uh, so Zane, how did you get started in stand up comedy? Um. So I got started in stand up comedy in Burns, Oregon. Actually, uh, I had just gotten busted with uh, drugs at Crystal meth to be specific okay. and i was like i think my life's over and uh messed up a little bit a little bit little bit and i actually got offered an opera or i offered created the opportunity for myself to perform some stand-up and uh they were like hey i know you got in trouble but i know this is really important to you so you can still do the performance after you get out of jail so i basically spent my 30 days in jail writing my stand-up and uh the first set that i ever did was 40 minutes wow yeah yeah, because I had no, I, I had no, I had no concept. Time. I had no right. concept of like you know how long an open mic was or anything. I was just like, I think you have to have a special. So uh, I only looked at my paper one time, which is ironic because I look at my phone all the time now. So uh, well, yeah, that, that is impressive. I mean, there are definitely worse things that could transpire in jail than writing a forty-minute <laughs> special. I guess. Yes. Like, uh, best case scenario. Yeah, best case uh, scenario, you come out of it with a Netflix special. Yeah. Um, so, Zane, what was your first exposure to science fiction? Uh, my first exposure to science fiction that I really remember was Alien. Um, that was that was the first one. Um, I watched it with Good my first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched it with my uh, cousin and my uncle, and uh, yeah, it was it was it was a really cool one. And it's kind of something that like my cousin and I share. You know, we play the video games and stuff like that. And it's nice. something that I've always the xenomorphs are kind of a trip, man. That's, oh, definitely. Yeah, and I a did, stealthy I... alien. Ugh. Yeah, no, they're they're a trip for sure, and all of the, just the mind of H. R. Giger as well, the guy who created the okay. you know, the the alien world, if you will. <laughs> we're, we're more about the force here. So, yes, we are. What was your first exposure to Star Wars? First exposure to Star Wars, I think it was my mom kind of running me through the series, um, just because it was something that she had watched when she was younger. Sure. And uh, my mom is like huge in the movies, loves fucking movies, like watches them all the time. Watches ones she's seen before multiple times. I'm like, I'm like that. I'm a multiple viewer. Yeah, I have yeah. To sometimes. 
times just to like either remind myself of things or realize yeah. things if I'm in a different frame of mind. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she's, she's watched a lot of, a lot of movies. And so that was kind of something that her and I were able to share. And then, uh, yeah, I remember kind of like watching the, the one, two and three and stuff as I was actually, you know, when I was growing up. So yeah, same. Yeah. Yeah. yeah was, my exposure was in theaters. So one, two and three, mm. uh, who's your favorite character kind of overall? And then I'll ask overall? you seven, eight and nine. Um, so overall, um, I would say, I think Mace Windu's pretty dope. Mace Windu's dope yeah, as fuck. Well, yeah, yeah. He's, he's probably my favorite from 1, 2, and 3. And then Lando. And the only reason I say Lando is because these are both black characters. I'm black. Uh, they were. The, it, it sucks because Lando was the only black character there was in the original series that That's I felt true. like. And it was like, and he's a traitor. It's like, God damn it. So Mace well, Windu. Uh, I mean, ah. he's a, he's a, 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 a traitor. Yes. <laughs> as in he trades goods. Yes. I, I wouldn't call Lando a traitor. Uh, especially when he comes through at the end on the final attack on the on the second Death Star. That's what you gotta and do. And then subsequently in 9 where he brings like the whole resistance fleet with Dude, him. Dude, goddamn, goddamn. After didn't come through in 8. So, yeah, no, I, I definitely feel that. Um, also, shout out Finn, another black character. Yes, yes. That's, um, that's actually my answer to the next question. That, oh, that's that's your favorite character from 789? No, that's 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 not... That was, that was going to be my least favorite character, but I'll tell oh. you about that later. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my uh, favorite character, I'd probably say Ray. I really enjoyed yeah. Ray as a character. Yeah, I fuck with Ray heavy. Um, mm. I, I think that, like, you know, she is, like, a super self-sufficient character. Yeah. Which is good to see insofar as like any other character that you see is under the tutelage uh, initially of another Jedi, yeah, or is taken quickly under their wing, and and Rey's kind of left to her own devices, yeah. And I speak about that in regards to you know, jumping forward a little bit at the end of Nine when she lights up the yellow lightsaber, yeah. You know that kind of is more indicative of the Jedi Sentinel, which relies less on the use of the Force and lightsaber and more mm -hmm. on their skills outside of the Force, mm. which is where Ray's origin is kind of based out of. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely, and I like that there was a, a female-centric yes, uh, yes. arc that didn't involve just Leia. Yeah, yeah. And, and they did that in the video games, too. Like, Battlefront 2 has to do mm -hmm. with Aiden Versio. So, which I, which character do you identify with the most? Because I, I know you, you like certain characters, but is there, like, a character yeah, that you feel that like I resonates the most C3PO. with? C-3PO. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, can, I can C-3P that for you. Nice. <laughs> um, let me see. Uh, I, I mean, I really... I don't know. I kind of just like the the independence of Rey. Like, I really liked the way that uh, she she just kind of like she kind of is left to like figure things out on her own, you know. And that's and she goes out and and finds you know a master. It wasn't like she had one, and it was just like she was just following the the steps. It was like, okay, well, I realize that I'm like this, so how do I, you know, further my skills and yeah. my understanding? Yeah, totally. I don't know. I, that's the thing I kind of enjoy about Star Wars is that you know like these. You have these characters that, for the longest time, you're just like, man, this guy fucking sucks. This guy yeah. fucking sucks. And then, like, you you get to find out, like, you know, where where that anger came from, where that you know darkness came from, and you get to you know they and they ultimately you know see that the good that they can provide is going to be has the potential to be. I don't want to say greater because I don't want to say that it in any way undoes the the bad that they've done, but it's it's you know attempts to balance, if you will. Yeah, um, totally. Well, because you see that with Vader, and that's who Kylo Ren emulates insofar mm -hmm. as his, like, you know, quest into the dark side and wanting to be complete darkness. And, you know, Vader has his redemption arc, mm -hmm. Kylo has his redemption arc, and, you know, it definitely goes to show that people can change and that yeah. the power to change exists within you regardless of your, you know... Of your past. Yeah, past. So who's your least favorite character, and why is it General Hux? Because <laughs> I... <laughs> This isn't an anti-ginger stance, <laughs> per se. Per se, yeah. Hear uh, me out. <laughs> but I do. I, I first off, I hate a rat. Not yeah. about rats. Uh, and yep. the fact that he was like, no, don't shoot me in the arm, shoot me in the leg. You know, yeah, or yeah, shoot me, me in the, the arm. So the, and, and Finn's like, nah, son. Nah, nah. Pops him in the leg. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and then he gets got anyway, which which is deserving. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, good for that other general pride. Uh, (laughs) I'm usually not for guys that are named Pride, but... uh, (laughs) Uh, So, out of 7, 8, and 9, which which was your favorite movie? Um, I want to say I had seen 7 and 8, and I want to say 9 just probably because it's the newest to me, you know? And it it kind of just tied everything together, so I was... I, I just... I enjoy, you know, finality. I enjoy continuity. I enjoy, you know... Continuity in the sense of like Marvel has their stories connected to each other, not that they're connected well, but they are connected. So sure, there's a uni- there's an overarching universe. Yeah, yeah and, and well, speaking of finality, there is going to be a ten through twelve. Okay, well, yeah, you know, well, so I guess we'll, I... we'll see what goes on with that. I mean, I I think that you know, like the way that it's set up at the end of nine. We kind of they just come that, back and raise a badass. I'm I'm fucking for it, dude. In, yeah, well, in... I I think that there's the potential. I think that there's the potential for uh, the ancillary. You have to tell me what that means. What the supporting television shows, okay. like yeah. Mandalorian, and then yeah, the Boba, Boba Fett, Fett tied into that, and like all of the stuff that's coming up with Andor and Lando and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, that is all going to inform or support ten through twelve. Good, good. Yeah, I, I think it's good in that respect, especially since Disney now has it under one umbrella. It's going to be a little bit easier, much yeah. like the Marvel house. So yeah, you know, I, I'm it's like Marvel didn't get to choose what happened in the X Men when it was under Fox or yeah. you know Sony oh, or know. all the. They or, didn't yeah, get Spider Man Sony. The yeah. Spider Man Sony. Yeah, yeah, they didn't get a pick. But now that it's like okay, now it's all under you. Like you get a well, kind of has to be. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, yeah. yeah, honestly. So, Zane, where can we hear you perform next? Um, so I'm going to be doing Telltale uh, nice. on the 19th. Love yeah. Jasmine Pettit. It's such a good format. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, she's actually doing uh, a thing called Make It Double. Okay. I don't want to spoil the surprise, but if you know anything about me, you'll be like, hmm, this sounds like a, a chance for Zane to shine. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that'll probably be that'll probably be my next one. Um, in, and in your skills and your sobriety. Yes, yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm going to be taking two shots uh, and then trying to do my... No, that is not the case. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, so... So, yeah, it'll be it'll be a cool set, um, or you know, possibly two. Um, but yeah, definitely. If uh, if you have an opportunity, you listen to the show, uh, please come check it out. Very cool. And we can always hear you on the smoke break. Yes, That's you can. on Shady Pines Radio and Pretty Dope Experience Radio, not to mention Spotify. Yes. And you have a couple other things going on. What about those? Um, yeah. So I just joined the Rogue Apostles, which uh, is on uh, the the radio stations. Uh, excuse me, X Ray FM up here in Vancouver. So I'm going to be doing my first uh, episode. So I'm going to be recording it on the 23rd of this month. Uh, so, yeah, the 23rd of May, 2022. So, yeah, I'm going to be a part of that. I'm super stoked for that. And then on top of that, I'm doing Off the Cuff, which is a uh, music live stream uh, show on Twitch. Very cool. Well, hey, Zane, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. And uh, let's go hit this underbar, Mike. Let's do it. Appreciate you, player. Cool, man. Always great catching up with Zane and talking Star Wars, life, and everything in between. Also had a great time at the Underbar, seriously one of my favorite rooms, always a great crowd and lineup of the funniest people the Pacific Northwest has to offer. Conspiracy Corner Alright folks, you know what that means. It's time to break out those tinfoil hats because this week's Conspiracy Corner has to do with Supreme Leader Snoke. Who or what exactly is Snoke? His origins aren't really ever delved into during the series, and with his unceremonious death in Episode 8, he's practically forgotten by the time Palpatine reveals himself early on in Episode 9. Densofgeek.com does a great job providing information on the Supreme Leader that isn't otherwise made available through the events and context of the films themselves. Emperor Palpatine created Snoke to be his proxy through which he could regain his power. Although Snoke was bioengineered in a lab on Exegol, he was a strand cast, not a clone. This bit of Star Wars jargon means Snoke isn't an exact copy of anyone, but isn't natural born either. We've heard the term Strandcast before. In The Mandalorian, Quill speculates that Grogu might be a Strandcast, a speculation which turned out to be wrong when Ahsoka revealed Grogu grew up in the Jedi Temple. Palpatine's ultimate plan was to use Snoke as his voice to whisper in Kylo Ren's ear. 
It was one of several ways he was working behind the scenes all along to build the First Order, itself just a shell for the new empire being built on Exegol. With his own clone body decrepit but his spirit still strong with the Force, Palpatine could possess other people but was looking for a more permanent, newer vessel. Snoke was likely born from these experiments but was too imperfect a vessel to house Palpatine's spirit. There were other candidates, like the Strandcast who became Rey's father, but since the process that created Strandcast could not reliably replicate Force sensitivity, Palpatine's quote son was not Force sensitive. It was yet another dead end. The Sith Lord next turned his attention to Rey in The Rise of Skywalker. As a quick aside, it's important to understand that Palpatine always had a contingency set in place in the event of his death. Along with last-ditch Blitzkrieg attacks by the Empire, Palpatine also set up personal fail-safes in case of his untimely demise. The death of his physical body was even part of his dark plan. The Rise of Skywalker shows how Palpatine planned to live on by possessing another person. At first he planned for it to be Luke Skywalker, then Palpatine's own son, then Rey. Since he could access all the spirits of Sith Lords past and she could speak to the Force ghosts of Jedi Masters, corrupting her would put an end to the Jedi forever. To ensure he lived long enough to do that, Palpatine had to move his spirit into a clone body first. After Return of the Jedi, he lived in the care of the Sith Acolytes on Exegol. The body he wears in The Rise of Skywalker is a clone form, and an imperfect one at that. It began to decay and was unable to move on its own. In essence, while Palpatine's body didn't survive being thrown into the Death Star's reactor, his spirit could as long as there was a vessel ready for it. Now, unlike Palpatine's Strandcast son, Snoke didn't know he was created in a lab by the Sith Lord, nor did he know he was being manipulated to rebuild the Emperor's forces. In fact, despite being created sometime after the Battle of Endor, he believed to have lived through the rise and fall of the Empire. All of this is revealed in the novelization of The Force Awakens, in a twist that might actually have been a result of the rise of Skywalker not having been written or planned out yet. But his status as a Sith sleeper agent fits with Palpatine's plan too. Snoke truly believing that he himself was really a dark force user who had lived through the Galactic Civil War, likely prevented Ben Solo slash Kylo Ren from sensing the deception throughout his time as Snoke's apprentice. Palpatine needed Snoke to believe the lies he told Kylo Ren so that he could more easily manipulate the fallen Skywalker. Now, you may have noticed that Snoke does not have the Darth title like Darth Lords of the Sith do. He was never given one because he isn't technically a Sith Lord. But the fact that he's a bioengineered being created by Palpatine explains why his training of Kylo Ren followed the Sith mold so closely, since all along Palpatine was trying to manipulate Ren through him. During the time of The Force Awakens, many fans theorized that the next film would reveal Snoke to be Darth Plagueis, the Sith Master who taught Palpatine the ways of the Dark Side. Plagueis was interested in extending one's lifespan through the use of the Dark Side, so an old man with mysterious origins could very well have been him. This theory also didn't pan out. Speaking of the Sith, Snoke may not be one, but he is interested in the lineage of one of the strongest Sith of all time. He chose to corrupt Ben Solo specifically because he was the grandson of Darth Vader. Luke Skywalker and Leia Organa were perhaps too ingrained in the light side and too dedicated to the cause of the New Republic for Snoke to manipulate them, but the mercurial and directionless Solo was the perfect target. Using Ben's obsession with Darth Vader to turn him farther to the dark side was a relatively easy task for Snoke. In the comic series, The Rise of Kylo Ren, we learned how Snoke began reaching out to Ben from an early age, and another comic, Age of Resistance, Supreme Leader Snoke, also fills in some of Snoke and Ben's history. Before the events of The Force Awakens, Snoke spent a lot of time planting seeds of distrust between Ben and his uncle and teacher Luke Skywalker from afar, all while biding his time on a space station with an expansive garden where Ben flees for guidance after the destruction of the Jedi Academy. Sometime after this, Snoke took Kylo Ren to the Force Cave on Dagobah from The Empire Strikes Back to experience a vision. There, Kylo kills an illusionary Luke, but stops short of killing his parents. Snoke then encourages him to use his anger, fear, and other emotions associated with the dark side to complete his training. The visual dictionary for The Rise of Skywalker shows how deep Palpatine's plan actually went. It says Palpatine intended killing Snoke to be the mark of Kylo Ren's full descent into the dark side and rise into Sithood. 
Snoke's death was, in a way, a symbolic killing of a Sith Master. It's traditional for the Apprentice to kill the Master, uh, while Palpatine himself remained alive and well to take over as Kylo's new Master. A final, decisive victory over the Skywalker bloodline. Snoke was a collector of Sith relics and secrets, traveling around the galaxy in search of knowledge, setting on his Force philosophy, and collecting things before he recruited Ben. It's unclear how much of this Sith pilgrimage really happened versus the memories implanted by Palpatine, but it does appear that Snoke did actually discover the lost concept of a Force dyad which he used to bring Rey and Kylo together. He also discovered many dark side artifacts. The one detail that's easy to overlook in The Last Jedi is Snoke's ring. The gaudy gold ring contains a hunk of black crystal. The Last Jedi Visual Dictionary defines this as an obsidian from the catacombs beneath Darth Vader's fortress on Mustafar. The ring also features gold etched with the glyph of the Duarte. In both canon and legend, Duarte is a planet which is home to several schools of philosophers. Okay, so none of this really amounts to conspiracy per se, so here's one for you. Remember the Darth Jar Jar theory? Well, get ready for something even more fucked. Supreme Leader Snoke is Jar Jar Binks? Yep, that's me. No, according to this airtight theory, Snoke is likely his son? Jar Jar Binks may have very well been a hermaphrodite, rare but not unheard of in Gungan society, and it is possible that Jar Jar was both mummy and daddy to Supreme Leader Snoke. Evidence to support this is their similar speech inflections and mannerisms, plus the fact that they are the same species? Shout out to Kiora for that well-written and researched theory. Thank you so much for taking up space on the internet. As per always, I'd like to acknowledge the sources for today's episode, which include imdb.com, starwars.com, wikipedia and wikipedia, thethings.com, and major thanks to the nerds over at fandom.com, as well as watching and discussing the movies multiple times with various other nerds. Next week brings a new series to the science factual schedule with the first chapter of The Book Report with Noah Linsk. This monthly segment takes a close look specifically at science fiction literature and the writers behind the works. I'll be meeting up with Noah before comedy open mics and showcases all around the Pacific Northwest to discuss some of the most iconic sci-fi novels and short stories ever written. We start off with Chapter 1 where we dive into Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut, a classic anti-war piece with sci-fi undertones, so be sure to check that out on Spotify with monthly releases. Next Tuesday, May 24th, continues the month of May with more Star Wars. For that episode, we get into the novels and comic books, video games, toys, and the dreaded holiday special. I'll sit down with super nerd Jamie Carbone, who you'll remember from episode 16, where we covered The Gods Themselves, a novel by Isaac Asimov. In the meantime, you can catch amazing content 24 hours a day right here on Shady Pines Radio. Hey, if you haven't already heard about the Shady Pines Radio Festival, you're about to right now with this full lineup. Yo, you wanted it, we wanted it, and now it's happening. The Shady Pines Music Festival. Bigger than Wayne Stock, bigger than Coachella, bigger than all of it. Join us for three days of music, food, drinks, love, dancing, and everything else a music festival can be. Out there in nature, while we come together to celebrate everything we've done, everything you've done, to help this station grow and grow. You gotta come. Friday through Sunday, July 15th through 17th, at Red Mud Ranch in Oregon City. Who's gonna be there? I'll tell you right now. We got Rose Lit Bone, Family Mystic, Flying Caravan, Strange and the Familiars, Yes Ma'am, Johnny Franco, Bitches in the Beehive, Chunk, Family Worship Center, Left on 10th, Super Secret Band, Curtis Copenhagen Band, The Wool, Dead Wren, Blue Flags and Black Grass, Wood Butcher, Dumpster Joe and the Boys, Zane Thomas, End Time, Fort Hamilton, Rosalinda and Frank, Tay and the Jangladai, Sadie Grader, Poor Boy, Jordan Sun, DJ Fish, Jackie B, and your bass, Love and Bass, and Big Papa Warrior. Okay, so how much? I'm glad you asked, baby boy. 200 bucks sound good? Yeah. How about 150? Yeah. 100? Yeah. Nah, nah, nah. Let's do this. 85 bucks for the whole three days. That's 
But get on it now, because tickets won't be around forever. For all the information, check out ShadyPinesFestival.com. Then, buy your tickets, and let's party! I'm super looking forward to this super funky lineup. In the meantime, how about you enjoy this hilarious set from Zane Thomas at the Helium Comedy Club, right here in Portland, Oregon. Enjoy! So I've been living in Portland for a second, right? Um, there's some things about Portland that other people don't like that I personally love, right? For example, bicyclists, love them. So for the other day, I almost got hit by the same bike three times in the same spot, right? It was a vicious cycle. Uh, it's all like this, it's all like this. Uh, fair enough, fair enough. No, but I love Portland. Uh, there's like so many different types of people, right? There's so many different types of people. Um, I think I pissed off my polyamorous neighbors, though. Uh, yeah, they came out swinging. So, uh, a mixed race, a mixed race. Uh, if you guys don't know what that means, thank you, thank you. If you guys don't know what that means, it means that my mom's white, my dad's... gone! <laughs> or black, or mad, I keep telling this joke, I don't know. Uh, I actually uh, want to start a therapy group for people with black and white parents. Uh, it's called Mixed Feelings. It's <laughs> the idea I came up with. Um, actually, we met my dad for the first time last year, right? Calls me up from out of nowhere. He's like, hey, man, how you doing? G.I. <laughs> Joe? He's like, nah, man, you sound like G.I. Joe? I was like, black G.I. Joe? He's like, nah, man, it's your father. I was like, oh, shit, dude, I always wanted to meet you. I just never knew where to find you. He's like, well, now you know. No one's half the battle. I'm like, this nigga is G.I. Joe. I knew it. Right, so I grew up with my mom, um, and I grew up with my mom, and she would, uh, she'd move us to these really small white towns, you know, so we could blend in, and, uh, good on her, good on her. But if it wasn't hard enough for me to blend in, right, my mom was a lesbian and a witch. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome, that's awesome. Give it up for her, I think that's really cool. Um, if you can't wrap your head around that, though, she's, uh, she's basically halfway between Portland and Salem. Which is... Somewhere in there. Um, no, she's super dope. She's super dope. Uh, can I tell you guys about the first time I said that's gay in front of my lesbian mom? Okay. Also, no more yelling out, please. Uh... So I'm like 10 years old, right? I'm 10 years old, and uh, I, I get home, my mom's like, hey, how do you feel about NSYNC? And I was like, that's the gayest thing I ever heard. Right, real ignorant, we know, we know. But she says something to me. The point she's trying to make is that uh, if you use the way that somebody was born or the way that they are as a negative, that's extremely hurtful, right? So she says to me, how would you feel if when I didn't like something, I said, that's nigger. <laughs> Right, so like a mature 10 year old, I was like, Grandpa, don't call me a nigger! <laughs> Just a lie, huge lie. Took that lie to my grandfather's grave. <laughs> Literally, like uh, 11 years later, I went to my very first strip club with my mom the day of my grandfather's funeral. Right? And by the way, this was not a good strip club. Like, not a good strip club. Like, uh, this was a strip club in Iowa, right? Like, the most popular chick there was this, uh, was this private dancer with a wooden arm. Yeah, 
Whoa, do not judge. I heard she was beating him off with a stick. <laughs> How about that joke? Um, but, uh... <laughs> I'm sitting there with my mom, right? And she looks over at me and she asks me this question that like to this day, I don't know if I could have answered any better, right? She looks over at me and she's like, hey, you a tits man or an ass man? How do you answer your mom? How do you answer your mom? Right, I didn't know what to say either. Uh, so I just said what I thought my mom would like to hear. I was like, uh, I like smiles. She's like, that's the gayest thing I've ever heard. Adam St. Thomas, you guys have been fucking awesome. Thanks a lot.